0: We are back with the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for tuning in once again. This edition is made possible by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning, and this is a special edition focused on CES 2023. We have Ken Pyle from VOD joining us as part of our team there, also a big part of the team making the coverage possible, Elizabeth Monroe, your partner in crime, Alan. <laughs> Great.
1: She was, uh, I mean, I, I I couldn't do it without her.
0: Absolutely. And, Alan, this is the beginning of the second decade of the smart driving cars newsletter and ces i think really gave you a chance to think about where we are when it comes to deploying autonomous vehicle technology and vehicle safety technology and you have some extensive thoughts in the in the latest newsletter
1: right i i think uh tried to think back of you know where we've been in this process and and in some sense where we are and And where we are really going, um, I think since the beginning, you know, we sort of, instead of having levels, we sort of designated, uh, you know, three different markets for this. Uh, One is a market for safety, the other is a market for comfort and convenience, and the other, and the third is a market for mobility. And looking at this, not from the technology point of view, but from the the, the market point of view, what's going to be pulling this? Who's going to be paying the bill? I mean, there's one thing to do to do technology development and then, you know, flip it to somebody or something like that. The other is, is to do technology development that is, in fact, going to end up being something that delivers value to society, such as society is willing to pay for it. And and so as we sit here, sort of as the second deg- decade of uh, beginning of the second decade of, of the e-letter, um, and and really the you know almost entering uh, the third decade uh, of um, of really this approach uh, to um, um, automation in in, in mobility and in, in ground mobility. Uh, I sort of uh, suggest that the beginning of this uh, came from uh, the uh, DARPA challenges—the first one in 2004, the next one in 2005, and the third one in 2007. So we're not at 2024 yet, but we've we've had about you know two full decades of this, and um, you know, sort of one decade after that, or in uh, in um, 2020. Uh, Two, I guess, or 23, I you know started um, doing, or 2013 started doing these e letters. Um, it's a little bit after you know Google got into the business in 2009, which really started things. And and the different the difference with with the DARPA challenges was, you know, I've been dealing with automation, trying to automate mobility in cities to to improve um, the quality of life since. Since 1971, I, you know, I sort of, my introduction to this was, you know, January 1971 when I realized I wasn't going to go to Mars anymore and how do you take all this, this stuff that we were so thrilled about developing for space and apply it somewhere, ran into some folks at the University of uh, Minnesota that were looking at automating <coughs> on transit in cities and you know, personal rapid transit and stuff. Boy, I mean, it sounded a little great, and um, and so that's how I got into it. But the problem, the problem with person, with with or the challenge, I should say, with with personal rapid transit was, was that we could do the automation and we could do it safely and we could have vehicles not crash and we can move people from A to B and even goods from A to B. Problem is, we needed a dedicated way, a dedicated roadway, guideway, whatever way. Uh, where, you know, that we'd said, you know, children keep out, uh, pedestrians keep out, bicyclists keep out, um, um, crazy misbehaving drivers keep out. Uh, and if you can keep those entities out, then, you know, it was would have been easy. Uh, but you had to build a guideway. And so we went basically 40 years of looking at, uh, at automation of mobility in exclusive ways, roadways, guideways. And the problem is is that uh, those things, the ways require money. And, and the amount of money that's needed to not only get started, but every inch of the way in growth, you need new infrastructure. You know and that proved to be that proved to be just unachievable. You know, you know with my students, we designed you know 10,000 station, 10,000 miles of guideway systems that would move people throughout New Jersey. but we would need you know a quarter of a trillion dollars of infrastructure. plus how many you know community meetings would we have to go to? to convince people to allow us to build guideways by their bedroom windows. I mean, so it's just, you know, no wonder there were only three systems in the world that were built, Morgantown, Mazdar, and and Heathrow. And and none of them them proved to be be the spark that ignited um, 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 a hockey stick, an exponential, massive deployment. none of them, okay? It's not because we all didn't try. It's not because we all didn't promote it. It was because we all didn't couldn't get the money or the time or the effort or whatever that it would take. And so the beautiful thing that happened with respect to the DARPA challenges was, of course, you know the military said, hey, you know, we just want these vehicles to go on anything and we're not going to build you know roadways. These have you have to put the intelligence in the vehicle, which of course made an enormous amount of sense because you consider almost essentially every other form of successful mobility has the intelligence in the vehicle, not the way. There's no intelligence in air that allows airplanes to fly through them. Okay, it's the Bernoulli principle on the airway air, 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 on on the wings. Da da de, da 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 da. To make it a go. I mean, if you had to, if you had to pump the air into the air to fly airplanes, never happened. Same with boats. And then if you look at like railroads, you know, with two little pieces of metal with some wood between them, da da a little gravel. I mean, a little bit more difficult, but you know, compared to a steam engine, a diesel electric engine running rumbling down there. You know, it's really simple. Then you look at roadways. I mean, a little macadam out there. Uh, I mean, even the Romans were able to, you know, put rocks down, you know, make a road that survived, you know, thousands of years. (laughs) I mean, and so, and so, you know, the fact that that all of a sudden with, with a DARPA challenge, we realize, oh my goodness. Instead of, instead of beating our heads against the wall, trying to build a guide, an exclusive guideway, let's go out and just use what's there. Now, of course, all the folks that are selling gizmos and want to build infrastructure and unions and so on, oh, no, I mean, of course not. I mean, come on, we want, you to, we want you to create jobs and sell gizmos. No, I mean, just put the intelligence in the vehicle.
0: And that battle has essentially been uh, settled, has it not?
1: Uh, I, I, I think it has. I think everybody realizes it.
0: So, you so know? then you and, you look around at CES.
1: but, yeah, but you, the, and, before we get know. there, you know, you know, you, you had the opportunity. I mean, you could even do a a Steve Jobs thing. You know, get a garage. You know, get one vehicle. I mean, oh my goodness! All we have to do is get that one to work, and then what do we do? replicate go one to two two to four four to four to eight eight to 16 to to, do exponential growth whoa i mean it's almost trivial and you go out there and you just kind of sneak out there and you just like almost like nobody's watching you and and of course you you don't want people to watch you which i guess gets us to you know some of our designs out there i mean they have lidar sticking out like so sore thumbs i mean come on you know do what luminar has done oh my goodness hide the darn thing you know so nobody can see it nobody can tell the difference but it does it as opposed to oh look at our lidar stack out there that looks like i mean cut it out but anyway you know that that was a theory and so yeah I mean, that was the that, that's what has pumped this thing for the last almost twenty years, certainly the last uh, the last uh, uh, ten years. And this is where we are today, I think. So Fred, now, now that's kind of the the evolutionary path and, and it's still great and and as we point out, it is working in some
0: places. Right. Uh, people are riding in robo-taxis from Waymo and Cruise and others today, and car makers are including technology to allow vehicles to stay in their lanes, brake, accelerate on on their own, uh, with people paying attention, supposedly, even hands off the wheel on, on many roadways, they're telling drivers. Right. So, and, um,
1: they, they, and most importantly to me is feed off the pedals. Taking my hands off the wheel is not no really a big thing, but taking my feet off the pedals, because what's the real, I mean, active thing? I got to figure out whether or not I hit the gas or hit the brake while I'm looking out on the road, and there's nothing on the road that tells me to hit the gas, hit the brake. I have to look down at my, uh, my speedometer, and then, uh, you know, and... And for me to keep things going at a constant speed or in the center of a lane is, is, is a constant speed is really tough. So, The value of feed off to me is pool, absolutely. And I'm willing to dish it out. And I'm not the only guy that's willing to dish it out. It seems as if the marketplace is out there dishing it out. I mean, the, the, the CEO of, of Mobile, I said, they have $3.5 billion of book business. And this is book business to allow people to take their feet off the pedals and their hands off the wheel. But they have to keep their eyes on the road. They have to keep their brains on the road, uh, you know, in order to maybe enthuse us to get the comfort and convenience. You don't want to say that too loud, you know, but that's fine. I think it's fine. I buy it in my vehicles. I think you you appreciate it, Fred? Maybe sure.
0: Well, Mo- Mobileye is doing inter has a very interesting approach in that they they are bringing they are making money with with the technology while at the same time trying to advance things, I guess, towards a a, a, a full AV kind of future, right?
1: We're right, and and maybe or maybe not they may or maybe not want to do a full AV future. Sure, they have it out there. But, but I think the 3.55 billion of book business, and I don't know how much you know, details was really put out there of what the book business is, but the book business, I don't believe, is going out and giving people rides. I think the book business is putting technology in there so that you and I can go to the showroom and buy it. Buy the same kind of car that we've been buying, as we've been saying since the beginning. This is, this is the, the chrome and fins of selling cars today. Chrome and fins sold cars in the 50s and 60s. You know, today with selling cars is feet off, hands off. And they really should say, hey, make sure you have your brain and your eyes on. It doesn't, the brain and eye off business, they aren't delivering yet.
0: Okay, But there is technology being utilized by many, or, or some at least, of, of the automakers to try to ensure that you are looking at the road, that you're not distracted, at least for too long. Yeah,
1: I, I, I guess they are. That sort of gets us into our safe driving car business, which they're not doing. I mean, I'll say they're not doing. They talk about safety. But they 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 are not they're not totally committed.
0: And when you I, say that, I won't it's say so- that.
1: I have to be careful because oh yes we are yes we are. Look, you know the systems they have are turn offable. Okay, there there many of the safety systems and so on. Okay, you know the, 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 they're they're discretionary. The the intelligent cruise control is discretionary. I think the intelligent cruise control in my car, to me, should be on all the time. Because I think that, th- that really works in terms of making sure that I don't tailgate, okay? And in fact, I shouldn't be able to dial it down so, so much such that I am tailgating. They should back that thing off. And it should be on all the time. I shouldn't be allowed to turn it off. I mean, when can I argue that I should be tailgating the, the the guy in front of me or the gal in front of me? I don't I don't think I can ever make that argument.
0: So as so, you so said the, before, the technology is there to prevent drivers in many instances from, as you would call it, misbehaving, that the car has the ability with the technology to say, no, you can't. It's just a matter of their implementation and and the automakers and the government coming together and saying, look, this is just the way it is.
1: Well, should it be government? I'm not sure. Yeah. In the end, I guess they want to make it government because they think that that if they if they enforce it, the, the people won't come to the showroom and buy it. Or the first thing they'll do is they'll go on the inner tubes and figure out where the, the YouTube video is to be able to snip the wires so that they can, Well, oh, I get to use this. This is mine. I get to use it the way I want it, okay, even though it violates laws. Why should I be able to take the car more than, you know, a few miles over the speed limit, cut it out, Unless you know, as I put in the e-letter, you know, if, if you know to 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 go the 220 or whatever miles per hour, that should be geofenced, and it should be geofenced to Watkins Glen, and if the Germans really want it, they can have it on their autobons. but not on the New Jersey Turnpike, not on Route One, not on Cleveland Lane,
0: okay. But that's so that, not the way that, the that, life that, works. That is, right? that, is, that is really the the great debate facing us, as a, and uh, in the U.S. and other societies as well, whether or not we're willing to take that step. So, well, well, yeah,
1: no, well, the answer is we're not willing to take the step, because federal DOT hasn't, Congress hasn't, NHTSA hasn't, none of them. They've had breathalyzers, they've had speed limiters. Intelligent cruise control will keep you from from you know tailgating me, and there's stuff in there that keep you from texting while, while the car is moving. I mean, Apple says every time, "Am I driving?" Of course, I'm never driving. I'm never I, I never hit that when I'm driving. Trust me, Fred.
0: Well, that is the the debate here. So getting back to CES, I know there are some things you were impressed with, the advances that the technology is making in in agriculture and, and industries like mining. You saw some pretty interesting stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I was, I, you know, Caterpillar was there with, I mean, this this, this CES is back to pre-COVID. I mean, that was, was so impressive about CES this year. I mean, it was pre-COVID CES. And, and, and caterpillar was in there with you know a, a, a big displays and so on I, I got to go on their remote uh, tractor operator and I was moving a bulldozer around the facility I mean I was I was like a, a kid in the candy store there um and, and what's what's really nice and talking to them is is the intensity of the implementation in 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 on private land for the purpose of doing work and you know in mining and so on and even in in in, uh, all sorts of operation with respect to land movement of, of vehicles and so on on private properties where there aren't kids chasing balls where there aren't bicyclists where there aren't pedestrians where there aren't misbehaving human drivers absolutely and and it seems as if you know uh, uh, at least in in my talking with the people in the booth i mean all you know totally fundamentally enthusiastic about the about the, um, the return on investment and the opportunities and 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 the fact that 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 the workers uh, also appreciated and 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 um, and a lot in some of these remote facilities it's 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 tough to get drivers. It's tough to, you know, people don't want to do that job.
0: And and And, a company like John Deere has done so much too in this area with agriculture and automation.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the the vehicle miles traveled by farm implementation um, equipment, my goodness. And uh, yes, they are big and they are very productive individually. uh, But the the, the opportunity to have a a driverless operation of those of those of those vehicles makes it so that the vehicles don't necessarily need to be huge. So you know, why are some of those farm, vehicles so big is because you were required to have a human in each one. But if you if you just dis- if you dislodge that connection with the human requirement, then you, know, you can put a fleet of smaller ones out there. Okay, the idea that the thing has to be absolutely, totally used to get more productivity out of the human, all of a sudden goes out. And now if you have with smaller ones, you then have, you're able to use them maybe 24 seven, all of a sudden the productivity of all that of a smaller one become such that they're affordable. So that opens up a whole different aspect of the operation. And 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 one can could see that kind of thing happening in ports and a lot of other private um, operations and warehouses and so on, where now you know the 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 vehicle is is you know, what what we've used um, um, mechanisms for is to increase human productivity. Let us lift bigger things. Let us cover more space. Let us let us do that. But all of a sudden, if you can remove the human and, and just put you know pretty inexpensive controllers and, and processors and sensors on them. now all of a sudden the idea of it having to be huge is no longer there. I mean in the railroad industry, I mean it's it's an absolute you know same thing. you know how do you get productivity in in the, in the railroad industry? you run unit trains 200 cars long, you have two guys on the head end, you know doing the whole thing. But what does that do? You then have to, you can only do it in places where you can get 200 cars and at times when you can get 200 cars. So somehow you have to collapse what normal temporal spatial demand is and you have to get it so you have enough. If all of a sudden you're not interested in, in, in the productivity of the human anymore, then I don't know, you can run five car trains, one car trains, whatever. You know, just. Completely changed the the, the ability for now the the service to match the normal temporal spatial disparity that tends to exist in transportation.
0: You can match it better. You have more markets. Interesting. So let's turn to some of the on-site interviews uh, that uh, we're able to get done there. Let's start with Halo.car and the founder and CEO Anand Kumar.
2: Puppy dog. Well, that was my first thought, and it was thanks to Dr. Kornhauser here. Anand, you guys are showing something really cool with Halo.Car. Yes. And we're in Las Vegas at CES 2023. Why
3: don't you describe that, and then we'll let Alan give uh, some commentary and questions. Fabulous. So Halo car is a unique product where our customers can take our app, push a button, and request a car. We will remotely drive an all-electric car with nobody inside to be delivered to the customer's location. Once it gets there, they hop in, they drive it however much they want. When they're done, they don't have to worry about parking. They basically go out of the car and say, I'm done with the car. We will remotely drive the car to our next customer. And all the cars are Electric, an ultimate vision for Halo is to convert all of the gasoline miles that are driven private cars to all electric, but making them affordable and accessible.
2: Well, that's uh, always uh, those are two words that close to your heart, uh, Alan. So why don't you uh, why don't you chime in here?
1: Well, yes, of course. uh, The whole purpose of uh, making it uh, driverless is to take some of the expense out of it, because if 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 it's being driven by somebody, they deserve to earn a living wage and uh, and feed their family and send their kids to Princeton and other places, you know, and so therefore they they deserve it. Uh, but um, maybe uh, the, some of this can be done without that expense, and that is a true expense. Sure, we could subsidize it and have the government pay for it, but that's not that's not the objective. I, I, I think what's interesting about about what Halo's doing is is they're they're focusing on what I call the, or what I call a lot of people call the empty vehicle management problem. Okay, there's 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 me or us getting from a to b but if the vehicle needs to get to us and then when we're done with it the vehicle needs to go to the next customer and if you look at it, you know the job of a bus driver the bus driver's job is to get the bus to the bus stop and then get the bus from the bus stop you know to the next one not necessarily you know moving people and and so uh, here with respect to now sharing a vehicle um, the sharing of a vehicle, just like the sharing of a bicycle or the sharing of a scooter. What are cities so upset about scooters? Why do they end up being strewn all over the darn place where people are done with them and they just drop them, and now somebody has to go pick them up and move them to where the next person's going to want them. And that's it's it's not only expensive; it is just it's it's a it's a management nightmare. And that's what I'm so, you know, uh, like about, about your approach is it addresses that particular piece of it.
3: There's another problem I would love to talk about here, too. If you think about this, we are all generally in the assumption that electric cars are going to make a big climate impact. Right, yeah. But the difficulty with electric car today is it's very expensive. It's $40,000 to start off for an average consumer, right? Just a few yeah, but percent. the government's right?
1: giving us 50000 back, <laughs> so we get rich as long as we're rich enough now. Yeah, yes. Right? Yeah.
3: So just barely just a handful percentage of yeah. population can actually afford a $40,000 car, yeah. even if you afford it. You have to retrofit your house with some form of charging infrastructure. Right. Not every house is capable of doing it. If you rent a house, you can't do it. Right. Yeah. If you have an HOA, that's <laughs> annoying. You <laughs> can't do it. If,
1: if you live in an apartment building, what do you do? Throw a throw an extension cord out. That's the it, exactly. And, From your oh, bedroom, it, right? It, <laughs> the, the people who have been driving electric cars, they don't live in apartment buildings. Exactly. They have mansions exactly. on large. But you know, here's the <laughs> question right? to you, right?
3: How do you make that accessible to everybody, the masses, mm-hmm. right? The masses are driving mm-hmm. clunkers today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole point of Halo is to make it so affordable, so convenient, and accessible at the same time, that they don't have to think about it's an electric car. It just comes fully charged. When they're done, they don't have to go find a charging station, just leave it. Yeah. That's yeah. it, right? yeah, Because
1: you can recharge it or exactly. whatever and so on. I mean, exactly. it gets buried. I mean, they do end up paying for it. Yeah. And, and and of course, the CapEx, which is the big big issue yes. on that, if you end up being shared the vehicle and exactly. you use it five different, with you know, five Hey, maybe you can do um, 20 trips a day out of these type exactly. things. Exactly. You know, the,
3: ultimately, yeah. at scale, what Halo is predicting is we will be able to do 40 to 60 rides a day at high volume because we're able to chain those rides as the ride becomes shorter and shorter. So ultimately, what happens in this region of our operation where we've saturated deployment People stop buying cars. Yeah,
1: yeah no, I I can right. see it. Now, if you can if you can do ride sharing also, if we can figure out how to, how you can do ride sharing too, then man, we we really have it. Um, um, yes, the 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 number of forty turns a day is a reasonable exactly. one. Okay, what we're talking about with respect to you know fully driverless that move people around yep. and so on, we're talking about productivities uh, with ride sharing uh, that look like a, a hundred rides, a uh, yep. person trips a day yep. out of a vehicle. Yep. You get that kind of productivity, almost doesn't matter what the car costs exactly. because you dip- depreciate it and distribute yep. it over so many trips
3: that. Yep. It, it, And it's great for us because now our break even for the CapEx is significantly fast. It's great for the cities because it's lesser parking lots that are needed in downtown, which can be converted to more affordable housing, better storefronts, whatnot, right? Parks and everything Exactly, exactly. The utopian vision comes together. Yeah. You know? Yes, of course. That's what, and ultimately what we're also saying is we don't have to ultimately solve all of autonomy. This is a bridge to autonomy. Yeah.
2: So why don't you tell us a little bit about the bridge? You have this driver that is here
3: instead Mm -hmm. of in the car. Why don't you tell us how that works? Yeah, so a remote pilot, we call them, that are trained by our staff internally at Halo. We train them on how to operate our uh, actual devices. They sit here, mission control for Halo, and drive the cars remotely. They only do a few minutes to deliver a car to a customer. Once a car is delivered, they switch to another car to deliver that car to somebody else. So ultimately what they're doing right now is they have a nine to five job, very, very flexible, very stable, they come into work, work from work instead of sitting in a car driving someone around, right? Nobody wants to do that. The customers don't wanna be there at all. So this is happening because it's the best way that we know at the moment. We wanna take that even further, right? Make that even, even more efficient. By having one remote pilot that's able to multiplex into a fleet of cars, our efficiency goes up drastically, right? They only reposition the car when there's nobody inside to either move the car from one parking lot to a customer or from one customer to another customer so that way we unlock massive efficiencies we're able to unlock massive margins and we're able to scale that model now I'm going to put another vision on top of this think autonomy is as a exoskeleton for industrial workers improving the capabilities drastically magnifying the capabilities is what autonomy is supposed to do, or any sort of automation is supposed to do, mm-hmm. just like industrial automation. Adding automation to this equation makes it even more scalable model, even more efficient, even more safer. At higher speeds, higher region of operation, our zone will start increasing, or we will now be able to c- deliver a car anywhere in a city remotely, instead of a small region of operations where we're at at the moment. That's how I see this as a bridge to automation, Instead of just overnight level five happens, it never happens. Don't say don't say level five.
1: Don't say level five. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. Okay, it's just yeah. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting. I think you, what what I think you have, of course, the opportunity is you have the opportunity to be able to deliver a a, a valuable product and build a business around it mm-hmm. and have it. Some profits, re- revenue associated with it, and if it gets better and better, such that you can also give rides, you'll, you'll also give rides. Yep. But, but to me, the you know the, the way the way that you're moving along that is that there's there's, there's a revenue and a business opportunity in it, and a real value opportunity in terms of of shared use of the asset. Yep. Okay.
3: Uh, a couple of things also would love to mention. One is like, say, an investor's perspective, right? People yeah. who have put so much money into <laughs> autonomous cars have never seen the reward back. It's because <laughs> autonomous cars are so difficult to solve. The technology is yeah, so yeah, difficult yeah, to solve. It's, it's right? still out there. Yeah. Exactly. And what we're saying is, we can still get to the utopian future, but while making a profitable company in the venture, yeah, right? No, it's a, yeah. And it's also great for regulators, because regulators always had a hard time understanding how autonomous cars are gonna work. Yeah. In this case, it's just a human that is driving it, right? Right. And if the, all they have to see is the network connectivity problem. If we solve that, a human can drive the car, which is already we already know that. Yeah. That is exactly what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, and, and
3: you know, there
1: are places, I think, where you can actually start even a little bit earlier. Um, do you really have to reposition the vehicles at the times when the traffic is the densest exactly. and most difficult? You know, between midnight and five AM, there's nobody exactly. out there, and you can exactly. do it almost. You know, you can do it tri- almost trivially, 100%. Uh, and and so therefore, and you're not you, in giving somebody a ride. You know, the biggest pain in the butt is the person you're giving the ride mm-hmm. to. Now that they have to f- feel comfortable mm-hmm. and relax mm-hmm. and whatever, yeah. and so on, uh, since you're not giving anybody a ride yeah. and the thing's empty, you know, you don't have to worry about that piece. Yeah, exactly. do you have to worry about safety and, yes, 100%. you know, we would, uh, my, my question to the CEOs such as yourself, uh, you know, is always, you know, how, at what point do you feel, con- I claim you have to feel confident enough. Yes. We can do all the equations, we can do all the statistical analysis, we can, you know, have all the data that you want, but when when are you willing to take the risk to say, hey, my goodness, yes, we can just operate this thing without yeah. the, okay. without the the the, uh, the safety driver on board first of all, yeah, or without the know. chase vehicle, mm-hmm. and have it on there and and do it. And given that you have the opportunity to do it at different times during the day, and you don't have to do it when it's really tough, then oh, no. it's really the toughest that you can you can. Uh, you know, ease yourself into there and, and build a nice company and grow it and actually build a company as opposed to just worried about flipping a company. Yeah. that would be very nice if you build a company.
3: And <laughs> That's what we're it. we're hoping for, and and it's a it's a combination of the confidence, just like you mentioned, and also data backing the confidence. Yeah, well, right? of course a, you got to have the data. I mean, you know, you can't make this stuff up. But yeah, exactly. but I'm,
1: I guess. You know, I know you'll know the data, yeah. but for you to take the risk and yeah. stand up there and say yeah, these numbers really do reflect this, yeah. is, uh, uh, I think it all takes a little something <laughs> down here. Okay? And I, I think that, that's fine. This is, yeah. To me, it's a human
3: problem. I mean, it's uh, not a mechanical le, 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 problem. Le, le, it's, uh, it's not
1: a you know data problem because somebody's yeah. going to tell you you need twenty eight nines, nine point nine nine. You know, and
3: okay, we're right. We want you know, yeah, get out of here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about this, as risk in everything, right? Every day we leave the house, there is <laughs> yeah. a risk. Yeah, of course there is.
1: <laughs> Life would be not not be worth living if we didn't take so risks. Exactly. If we knew the future and everything was nice, I mean, it'd be boring. It'd be we would have I don't know. Exactly. We would have given yeah. it up and. You
3: know, the uncertainty I mean, is what it. makes life happen, right? So that's what makes it interesting,
1: <laughs> exactly, I think. I mean. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and speaking of uncertainty, every time I pick up my call, on my phone, I'm uncertain whether it's going to go through the network. How do you guys kind of guarantee that yeah. you can get the signal through back to your teleoperator?
3: Yeah. So uh, the inspiration here is from avionics. If you think about aviation for a second, it's been happening for you know decades and decades, where every component that they put they put in an airplane is has multiple redundancies, multiple fallbacks. Very similar in our cars, we have all three networks, T-Mobile, AT&T, and Verizon. We have deep partnerships with all of them, T-Mobile being the primary, right? In fact, they've also invested with the company because they believe in the tech that much. So we have a unique patent where we're able to work on all the networks at the same time. Because we understand that all networks have gaps and uncertainties when in actual environment. So we leverage other networks that are there to piggyback each other. So we have three tiers of redundancy, and on top of that, we have something very unique that we've built. The car is extremely smart, where it knows exactly where it's at, it knows the signal strength, it knows what's happening in l- live inside the vehicle. In a worst-case scenario, if all fails, the car is extremely sensitive, it comes to a stop. That's why we still have a safety, safety driver, and we're now moving towards a chase car, where the chase car is helping uh, you know, improve our efficiency, getting to a point where we'll never have to stop at all. That'll happen sometime later this year.
1: In a, in a sense, you know, because, because you're not moving a person, yeah. you're moving the vehicle. It's not mission critical that everything goes just perfectly right so that the person gives you five stars. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You can't stop. Yeah. Okay? You know. And. Every place you're gonna drive, especially around here, you've driven before.
0: Exactly. And
1: by the time you do any of this, you do know well that you've probably exactly. driven it exactly. who knows how many times. Yep. So you know where the, where the soft spots are. Yep. And
2: of course but, you avoid them. But you still need to have the low enough latency, like if the kid with the ball throws the ball out
3: exactly. and starts running,
1: 100%. you can react, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. that's no, our... It has to do that, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, that's our proprietary APS. Well, it's not just a redundancy in the network, but also the reliability of the network, right? Yeah, How yeah. low you can get the latency down is is a yeah. is a, one of our secret sauces. Yeah. From a, a maximum speed, then
2: uh, you're just in the neighborhoods right now. I mean, what did, what is that speed, and what do you anticipate yeah, we, going to?
3: Um, usually. Keep it under 25 miles an hour. That's a top speed. When we're remotely driving with nobody inside, but when we're manually driving, it's just like a normal car. Yeah. So customers can drive how much as whatever speeds they are used to. Yeah, no, you shouldn't let them drive that, but go ahead. No, 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 no. Um, they get themselves yeah.
1: into trouble if they do that. Go ahead, yes. So it's
3: just like renting a car, right? Yeah, when yeah, you rent yeah, a car, I it's know. your liability, right? It's very similar. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. But uh, when we are in control of the vehicle, we tend to keep the car speeds under 25 miles an hour. We don't go on faster roads. We don't go on the freeways. We keep that risk as low yeah, as possible, very sense. manageable. You have, you
1: have all those options. You don't. Yep, you don't exactly. have to be there. You don't. Have, you don't have to race it. I mean, you can get enormous productivity. The exactly. productivity increment that you get by, by going on on a freeway versus surface streets versus 100%. you know if you if you do a safest route routing as opposed to a, a yes. minimum time routing, yes. pff, so it's like you know pennies. It, it, I, I'm I'm, I'm so you I'm sure work. it is. I'm sure. <laughs> I know. I've I've looked at that. It, it, it is. I mean, it, that's sense. that's what's that's what's elegant about the problem you're trying to solve. It it is. It's, it's a solvable problem.
2: And that also makes the latency problem much yeah, easier it, it and all that it, stuff. It, right? You know,
1: yeah. it's it's not as mission. It, it is mission critical, but yeah. it's not it's not it's not as if you have somebody in there. Yes. Okay. The library
2: yeah. comes up for us. Uh, you know. And then the, the onboarding process mm-hmm. seemed fairly simple. Don't have to download an app or anything. I texted. Uh, it
1: sends me a message. Yeah, and yeah, we'll rent the car, right? I mean, to get the car. It's easy. I mean, I think your interface with at least we, we played with it a little bit. Nice, look nice. nice. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I we, we we wish you we wish you all the luck in the world. Thank on you that. very I much. Mean, I think it's a it's a le- to me it's a legit, legitimate um, business model to go yeah. after that has. Substance as a business and uh, and somewhat near term.
3: Love it. And Love it. you're yeah. in Las Vegas now. Yeah. Do you plan on expanding beyond Las Vegas? We're 100% focused on Las Vegas at the moment. We we understand that if we are able to get to a point where we have really good economics in one city, yeah, it's replicable, you, you, you right? Can
1: replicate it, exactly. Right? I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's a replication issue. And uh, we
3: have other states that are reaching out to us, literally state providers themselves are reaching out to us saying how do we bring the, bring Halo into our state, what's the regulation going to look like, how do we accelerate the regulations. It's all organically happening by itself because regulators are understanding this is a really better comprehensible way to get to the future utopian, driverless cars. So it's happening organically, but we very happily, happily on Las Vegas alone.
1: Excellent. Well, Alan, any more? Uh, no, I think that's great. Thank you. Um, I appreciate your time. It's nice that we had the opportunity yeah. to visit you here uh, during CES uh, 2023, and um, all the best. Thank you yeah, very th- much. Thanks for the ride. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you so
3: much. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you. coming out. And Thank you.
0: Alan, the driverless repositioning of vehicles is really uh, an important puzzle piece here, isn't it?
1: Right, and and as you know, people know I've necess- I've not been a fan of remote operation of, of vehicles because because of the latency and because you know you still have a person in the loop there. But for this this application, this business opportunity in which you're trying to share a vehicle and for to share a vehicle, you can leave it there and have somebody show up and take it and whatever and leave it somewhere else and, and somebody else uses it, bike sharing, scooter sharing, you know, the whole business. The challenge with every one of these sharing things is that the, the, the demand for the use, the spatial temporal demand is not symmetric, at least not symmetric in a time scale that allows for good utilization of the vehicles. And so because of the skewness in, in the demand over the time periods in which you would like to get reuse, all the stuff stuff ends up being scattered out in, in, in the periphery. And so somebody has to, as exists with bike sharing, scooter sharing, all the other sharing, somebody has to go out there, pick it up and bring it back to where the next one is, is going to need it. So, whenever you do sharing of, of a technology, there is an empty vehicle repositioning aspect to it. Okay. Now, if you're taking a car and you want to have that car shared, shared use, in other words, I use it for a while, then you use it, then somebody else uses it, then I use it again, da da dee, who knows, hum da 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 da. <clears throat> there is an empty vehicle repositioning aspect to that. Why not do that remotely? Why not have one operator sitting in comfort or whatever with respect to doing that? And then it repositions this vehicle. And then there's another one that needs to be repositioned. And then there's another one that need to be, one to be repositioned. And then there's another one to be repositioned. And then there's another one to be repositioned. But I can wait until I reposition that one to reposition that one. So I can make very productive use out of the individual that's repositioning without having to schlep them out there to each one. If I have to schlep them, then I need a schlepper. I'm done, okay? This is beautiful. And, you know, I don't have to worry about, oh, it's a little jerky. Whereas, I mean, if I'm sitting in the back of a vehicle, you know, Professor Kornhauser, he has to have, you know, Perfectly comfortable ride. Otherwise, I'll complain about it on a podcast with Fred Fishkin.
0: Oh, I might spill your coffee. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I might spill my coffee. Oh my goodness. There's nobody in there. You don't have to worry about that. And you don't have to worry about, oh, I gotta go fast. Okay, yeah, there's some efficiency that we get in effectively repositioning a vehicle, da da de, da 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 But all of a sudden, my routing algorithm can really be based on what is the safest way to get it from A to B. That is, you know, the only really thing on the objective function. And, you know, if necessary, I don't have to do it right now when all the crazies are out on the road. I can wait until the crazies aren't all the misbehaviors and I don't need to have to pay and keep somebody around and whatever and deal with them and whatever. I mean, beautiful. So um, kudos to them. I think it's great. It's, halo it's
0: been, dot, halo.car. Is the, but the
1: stay reason. with this business. Don't all of a sudden say, hey, yeah, I can go out and move people too, huh? Well, you know, 10 years from now, we can revisit the whole thing and see how well, you know, all the algorithms are. And maybe you can, but my goodness, as, I, as we've said many times on here, why do I need a Lyft driver? I don't. I can drive from my house to Newark Airport. What is beautiful about the Lyft driver is that he or she brings a vehicle to my my door. And when I get out at, you know, United, whatever, they take it away. That's what I need the driver for. I could drive. I mean, I don't want to. I'd rather sit there and play games on. The, oh, no, I mean, do useful work towards the podcast, Fred, and be productive in my academic research career. Thank you.
0: You had the opportunity, Alan, while you were in Las Vegas to pay a visit to the Boring Company, Elon Musk's tunneling venture, and what they're doing there. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, uh, because, because, um, um, Lewis Aaron, one of my students, um, uh, decided to take the COVID year off. a Great decision by him, and and um, and take a gap year, and got the opportunity to to work at the, at the boring company there in in, uh, in Las Vegas, and um, and basically through the, con- the through the construction period and the start. A period of um, of the uh, Las Vegas uh, tunnel uh, operation, and um, and he basically provided uh, um, provided uh, the connection uh, for us to get an invitation to go talk with um, the head of of the uh, Las Vegas. Uh, uh, system and we had a, we had a wonderful conversation we couldn't tape anything and and certainly you know there are some things that, that we were told that really you know are told in confidence but it, uh, it it is pretty impressive at least to me what they've accomplished and if one looks at what they're looking to accomplish in terms of of a mobility system uh, for uh, uh for Las Vegas um, it, it to me it's very impressive i i had to i had to of course make a comment put myself into the into the situation because a lot you know, um, 1975 Jerome and I, and a bunch of others were proposing a per- personal rapid transit system for Las Vegas that if you, you know look at the network map for that, where the stations were going to be and where the routing was going to be, it's essentially the same as the As 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 the boring companies, I mean, there's not much difference. And we were so enthusiastic about, you know, putting in elevated guideways with or monocab or another system into Las Vegas to provide mobility, you know, the same kind of mobility certainly served the airport and and the and the um, the casinos and other places up and down and whatever and and you know went out to Vegas to, to do the proposal and I mean we got killed. We just got killed and so therefore I'm really impressed that anybody's been able to put in a system that that begins to look like that. Why did we get killed? I mean, there were, you know, <laughs> because we're naive, we're outsiders. What the heck did we did we know what was going on? We, we had the new gizmo technology. We thought everybody would love it, and we were even going to make it free, because what we were going to do is put slot machines in the vehicles and have people play or not play and get the incremental revenue out of the slot machines to pay for the system. I mean, we hadn't completely done the arithmetic on it, but we thought, "My goodness, why not?" and and do that. And we went in there, and we just we thought we we thought we were the slickest, best thing since sliced bread, and we got killed we didn't even know what hit us. And as i like to say, I mean, we didn't know our throats had been cut until we looked down on the floor and saw the blood on the floor. I mean- That we sounds did...
0: like a common Las Vegas story, yeah. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know it is a common Las Vegas story. We were so naive. I mean, as any outsider is when one comes into a, you know, to a new jurisdiction. Look, one of the things we thought was, oh, you know, it's really tough to get around Las Vegas. But guess what? The casinos want it to be tough. Because, you know, they don't even show you where the door is once they have you inside, let alone have an efficient system to get you to another casino. Until you've lost all your money, I guess. And then, you know, who cares? I mean, they want you to stay there. So the whole concept of having mobility between casinos, no, no demand for no, no demand from the people that are providing uh that are providing the venues and then of course there were the cab drivers oh my goodness this is this is threatening their livelihood no chance no chance did i say no chance no chance no chance so
0: i guess some things have changed then some things have changed
1: yeah uber and lyft came in there i don't know i mean i guess they won, and and so the you know the cabbies, I don't know, Uber and Lyft are prospering there, I guess, and and so they've come in there, and plus, you know, it is so popular, there is such high demand, <laughs> there there is need, and and even more to be able to provide abilities to get from A to B because, uh, oh my goodness, especially now that CES was back to pre-COVID. I mean, it is, I, you know, people are walking. I mean, people are walking. I mean, there's <laughs> You know, it's it was really interesting to see the the prices offered by Uber and Lyft. You know, if if you if you're willing to wait twenty minutes, then it's going to be you know twenty five bucks to go from one casino to another. If if you wanted it in the next uh, five or ten minutes, it was like fifty or seventy five or whatever. I mean, they were they were pricing on the demand curve like you know, the service demand curve like you couldn't believe. I, Great. I mean, that's that's what capitalism is all about. That's what business is all about. You know, wonderful. I mean, you want better service. You should pay more. So but the, well, what a great what a great pricing algorithm they have on that sucker, I guess. Wonderful. Love it. And and the cab companies, I guess, are responding somehow. I don't know. You just tip people a lot.
0: We'll we'll see what's accomplished by the boring company, right?
1: Yeah, and and they're getting people to to do that. They're they're moving lots of people. Uh, It is working. Um, It's working as it should with a a driver. And at some point, uh, to me, I think if there's anything that's automatable, (laughs) that is because it's very simple. It's on their own exclusive guideway, okay? Uh, they have some challenges at the, at, the, at the kiosk where they pick up and drop off points. The kiosk look just like the kiosk that we would want to make in Trenton, okay? And the benefit they have is that they run them in their exclusive tunnel, roadway. So it, it, automating should be easy. But, but the reason why they haven't automated and the same reason why if we do Trenton moves is that we don't want a driverless in the beginning is because you have to acclimate the customer. And once the customer is acclimated and gets on, just like at the airport, people are getting on and off the automated people movers from the terminals to the baggage claim and so on like like, like they're getting on, on escalators, I mean, no problem. Why? Because they're used to it. They've seen it before. They, 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 they have confidence that it will work well. Although I must admit that in the New York, New York, where we stayed, they were supposedly upgrading the elevator. Oh my goodness! Do you have any idea how bad elevators are when they don't work well? And at one point, the elevator sort of hicked up when it started to move, and then, <laughs> we're in there with a bunch of people, and people are like starting to go nuts. <laughs> the cables—I mean, yeah, whatever. So even with elevators, you know, the the sociology of the uh, driverless mobility bit. Is still an enormous challenge. And, and as I say, that you know, the, the the boring company is dealing with it by having drivers. Absolutely.
0: At well, we part. want to show a, a couple of other interviews that right. were done on site. Another company you were able to chat with was Stradvision, which is a maker of AI-based camera perception technology based in Seoul, South Korea. Their chief technology officer is Jack Sim.
2: The road to assisted driving and autonomous driving is, uh, is paved with a lot of technology, and it looks like Strativision is, doing, Strativision is doing some cool things in that regard. Why don't you tell us the latest about what you guys are doing to help a lot of OEMs help advance us on this way to uh, autonomous uh, driving?
4: Sure. Uh, so uh, Strativision, we are a uh, software company uh, who developed and provides an uh, artificial intelligence-based Perception software. So by working together with the Tier ones, uh, we have been uh, providing our uh, SVNet, SVNet technologies uh, to the uh, the various uh, OEMs and you know car manufacturers uh, to enable lots of the ADAS features uh, on the market. And also, like recently, uh, we are uh, develop a technology for the infotainment purposes as well. And uh, maybe the highlight uh, I wanted to uh, emphasize is that uh, at the CES 2023, uh, we have just announced a collaboration with the Texas Instrument uh, where uh, the SVNET technology is now uh, available through the TI chips uh, with a very competitive, uh, low-power usage under
1: like, mid-tier
4: uh, chipsets.
1: So, you're focusing, at least one of the focus foci is on the perception piece. Is that correct? I mean, the, so that you're doing the perception so that, in fact, you then can generate the control to move the car, right? That is correct. So, I think uh, generally, like uh, from
4: the autonomous driving technologies, uh, we split it down to like three stages uh, perception, and prediction, and uh, planning and control. Right. And as far as the vision, yeah, we right. are focusing on the perception. And also, even a little bit more specifically, uh, we are camera-based perception technology companies.
1: So, no lidar, no radar.
4: That's a great question. So, uh, we, not...
1: <laughs> we're, yeah. Go ahead. Music does yours.
4: Yeah. I mean, in fact, you know, we do have some uh, like, early, not only like internal research and collaboration with the like lighter company uh, in, from South Korea. So, um, we are a believer that true autonomous uh, driving can be much much more quickly accomplished by fusing all these you know, available sensors uh, but we have been strategically focusing on the camera just because you know we think that's the uh, the most value we get at the current stage and also like as I mentioned uh, we have been uh, sharply focusing on like uh, enabling all these technologies in a relatively uh, like lower end or mid end chipset so
1: so really, you're in the uh, advanced driver assistance systems, um, vision is really good enough, and, is, and for the applications, certainly in the parking garage area, one's not dealing with high speed, and um, and one is dealing with probably really precise data and and not much weather conditions, right? Yeah. Um, right. So so right. In, exactly. a, in some sense, uh, uh, well, why not solve the easy problem first and create a business out of that and uh, get some value and so that one can then survive to the next phase where we do all the other great things I guess. That is
4: precisely the point. Yeah so I mean just one thing I want to clarify is that actually OEMs do like you know use multi-model approaches. So they do like use search vision uh, technology for the camera perception but right. there's nothing preventing them from actually fusing the other like you know, modality sensor provided by other companies. But yeah I think you know you have a great point that we believe that you know camera is the like most reachable technology as of today because you know camera has been used for other you know, purposes as well, right?
1: Yeah, well, I, I happen to be a vision guy myself, and have all been, you know. <laughs> There were only two of us in the DARPA challenge that were really vision guys, us and, uh, and Brogy at, at Parma, to hear but, that you yeah. know. But you know, anyway, yes. Yeah, you're talking uh, about
4: 2006 and 2007. Or, to, the DARPA 2005,
1: 2007. It, you know, so whatever. Um, that's kind of where where we come from, I and mean, I think I think it's quite appropriate and the opportunity to do it with with uh, uh, an efficient processor because you know the processing is, expenses is a big expense uh, not only in energy but in in compute times and so on so yeah you know, exactly one has to be efficient on that one right Strongly agree. otherwise yeah. you have latency you have latency um who knows right i know i mean
4: you yeah, since this is like the uh, safety critical like features yeah, right yeah we can like you know delay for hundreds of milliseconds right. to get the response yeah because
1: you have to do the perception and then you have to do the planning yeah. and then you have to then say hey turn a wheel or Hit the gas or hit the, you know, so So, (laughs) all those things need to be.
2: So, what type of delay are you talking about then if it's less than 100 milliseconds?
4: Oh, yeah, we're literally talking about like, you know, tens of milliseconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like, single digit is a little bit too far under Mm -hmm. reach. But, yeah, yeah, we are definitely like, you know, aiming for like, you know, two digits, you know, millisecond latency time. Yeah,
1: well, I don't know. I, I can. Sorry, you may not need that. I mean, we have to. We we have to delay ourselves. I mean, be, be, you know, things coming in our retina in terms of and its processing and doing course, whatever. You know, standard. we aren't insta- instantaneous
4: either, right? Yeah, Exactly. So I think like that's like good reference actually. So usually we talk about frame per second, right? Yeah. Right. So like if 30 frame per second, like yeah. people usually can't tell the delay. And that gives like 33 milliseconds per frame, so that's like kind of a like standard, you know,
1: the delay we're right. aiming for. Yeah, it's a good thing. Otherwise, we couldn't enjoy movies, right? Or we would have seen a frame and then a frame and then a frame, and then, I mean, we would have gone nuts. Yeah, right? exactly. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's not a coincidence that like movies are like 24 right. frames per second. Right, yeah. right. So, uh, when when do you expect to be on cars in the showroom, or what's your, what's your what's your time frame? Are looking at could oh, be yeah. that in terms of its implementation
4: so are you talking about the, the specifically the TI version of the software right, or right generally it. or version?
1: whichever one you want to tell us about or whichever oh, I mean, one you can or you know wh- wh- okay. wh- what's your timeline in terms of uh, you know there's the research piece and then there's the deployment piece uh, there's the, some sense of the revenue piece. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. You know, yeah. mean, we have to get to the revenue piece, right? Exactly.
4: Yeah. So uh, to be clear, like, yeah. uh, lots of services technologies have right. been already productionized. So okay. we have been uh, deploying the software to the uh, the actual OEM, okay. uh, like the various brand of cars. Uh, And some of them have been like already at the mass production stage since 2019 uh, in China and 2024 in Germany, so like it's kind of fair to say that we have already reached that point, right? Mm -hmm. So it's only that you know we are advancing our technologies, adding more features, you know, making it even more robust to like more harder conditions, etc. But also, you know, like uh, I think that naturally goes to the next step. So we are far from you know complete, but good news is that I think we are rapidly evolving. Like you know, we are like uh, like really rushing towards the like uh, mature like KPI at this point, and then you know like also from the revenue perspective, as I said, I think we're still very early stage from like creating a you know like the large volume of the you know, revenue from the mass production. Uh, we already have it, but I think we are expecting exponential growth from this you know stage as we deploy uh, our software to more and more. Uh, like, you know, car models.
1: So that's your, your partnership that, that you've announced, right? I mean, didn't you, right? Yeah. That, that's what's going to and, and it looks there.
2: like you have partnerships with Qualcomm and Renesys and so forth, too. Are, are yeah. those already out in the market?
4: Yeah, I can mention a couple of things. So we are, like, providing our software in through, like, eight different manufacturers. Okay. 18-plus, uh, like, SOCs, right? So, of course, uh, we haven't, you know, like, productionized uh, every single, like, version of all our software. But as I said, uh, we are like pretty much ready to really scale up our deployment. So that's why exactly those, you know, like partnerships with TI uh, is crucial and our recent uh, investor like Active and ZF, as you know, they are like globally, uh, like uh, the most, uh, uh, having the most you know, client uh, tier ones. So we believe, you know, this will naturally provide us opportunity to, you know, scale up our like you know, operations and, you know, our deployment of the software. So yeah, that's where we are at currently.
0: Well, excellent. Congratulations. It sounds exciting. Um, congratulations. Interesting interview, Alan.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're out there providing that, and uh, uh,
0: we wish them the best. One of the leaders among companies looking to use autonomous vehicle technology to provide mobility to people in urban areas is Amazon-backed Zooks. Uh, on the show floor, Ken Pyle caught up with the company's senior public policy and safety strategy manager, Paul Escobar. Zooks,
2: my gosh, that sounds like it's something out of an action comic book in the future. Well, I think the future is here. Paul, what are we looking at?
5: Yeah, so this is our purpose-built, fully autonomous, all-electric passenger vehicle. It is entirely built around the human passenger, human rider. So it, when you look inside, you'll see that there are no traditional driving controls. There's no steering wheel. There's no brake pedal accelerator pedal, just space for passengers. And we've built this and designed this from the ground up. And the idea behind it really is, I mean, from the very beginning, Zooks has thought, autonomy represents a sea change in how we can think about mobility. Let's design for a new kind of purpose, a new kind of ride, entirely around the, the, the passenger.
2: I suppose the other thing that really helps us is the electric, the fact that it's electric, you can do things you couldn't do before, right?
5: That's right, right. And sustainability is sort of at the core of the mission here. But we've designed this to operate up to 16 hours on a single charge in a dense urban environment so that we can be as efficient and as effective as possible while also not contributing to greenhouse gas emissions or pollutions in the downtown areas that we service. So I assume that means the lower operating cost just in terms of fuel and so forth. Right, and the idea is also to sort of amortize things over time. So we own and operate the fleet entirely. So you won't be able to buy a Zooks one day, you just would be able to hail a ride. And so we would have a smaller fleet sort of overall, and if you were looking at people who are just selling vehicles direct to consumers, but we would provide these sort of shared passenger rides, greater sort of um, density, greater mobility, um, within these sort of crowded environments, without adding a bunch of vehicles to the street.
2: So, from a today's environment, this would compare to say one of the rideshare services. How would, would it compare from a cost perspective?
5: Our uh, ambition is to be a lower price point, right? So no, no specifics. No specifics uh, okay. This, no specifics at this time. We can share. Yeah.
2: But but the idea is to uh, open up mobility for That's more right. people. I That's
5: right. That, that is one of the core missions of Zoox is greater access to mobility. And part of that would, of course, be cost.
2: And so from an accessibility standpoint, when we're talking about that, what about people with special needs?
5: Yeah, so they're one that's a pretty diverse community, right, of people and and sort of diverse needs. And so we've we've designed a lot of sort of light and sound systems, for instance, to be able to communicate with passengers and other road users effectively. and you know, other kinds of accessibility features that we've designed into the vehicle. But we also understand that this is a long term sort of project and we engage with you know, a lot of different accessibility groups to solicit their feedback and, and input on our designs as we sort of expand over time.
2: And speaking of time, it sounds like it is kind of a, a crawl, walk, stand, yeah. stand, walk type of.
5: That's right, that's right. You want to, I mean, at Zooks, the way we talk about it is safety is foundational, right? And a key, uh, perhaps the key aspect of autonomous technology is that it has to be safe. And so we want to make sure that everything that we put out on the public roads is going to be, is meeting that criteria. And so it's very much the, let's validate the technology and then we can deploy it on public roads over time. So
2: over time, I mean, right now, Vehicles without steering wheels and so forth uh, need to have special exemptions from NISTA. Do you foresee you guys doing that in the near future?
5: Well, so we actually have a different understanding of that. We have, and and very exciting, we have um, self-certified this vehicle to the existing Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. We did this in June, June 30th of this past year. Uh, A really important milestone for Zooks, but also the industry. It was the first purpose-built, fully autonomous vehicle that was self-certified to the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. And that was without any sort of application for exemptions or anything like that.
2: So this could go on the road uh, right now in any state or certain states?
5: Well, so exactly. At the federal level, road-ready with that self-certification. But at the states, it looks a little different, right? So you think about... um, Sort of broadly speaking, states oversee the safe operation of vehicles. And so they have things like licensing, insurance requirements. The way that looks in our industry is permits. Usually states will have a permit regime. And so while we have self-certified to FMVSS, that's a, that's a really important milestone along the journey. But we also have to secure additional state authorizations in order to operate on public roads in those jurisdictions.
2: And what about the, the local level?
5: So generally speaking, local governments do not have regulatory authority. There are some exceptions, um, but usually that happens at the state level with sort of state level permitting. But for us, cities really are forgive the pun where the rubber meets the road. Right. And so we make a, a point to reach out to cities, law enforcement, first responders, community members, well in advance of our operations. So they understand who we are, what we're doing, what our vehicles are when they see them driving around, who to contact and what to do if they need to interact with the vehicle in some way.
2: And I want to go back to the regulatory and this might feed into that. But first, let's talk about share a ride. Uh, What does Alan always say? Share a ride, share the road. Uh, Alan uh, Kornhauser, of course, is a big proponent of ride sharing in terms of different passengers you know, taking the same car to reduce uh, vehicle miles traveled or whatever. What are your thoughts on that?
5: Yeah, I mean, that's obviously core to our mission, right? Like we built this vehicle for ride sharing and we want this to be filled and and to take people out of their individual, you know, single occupant vehicle and reduce congestion. And then from the sort of a regulatory perspective, it kind of varies depending on sort of which state you're in, how the rules around that in particular play out. Just an example. Uh, in California, the Public Utilities Commission oversees sort of four ride, four higher uh, transportation services, passenger services, and they have created sort of a two-track system around testing and deployment, and you know driverless and drivered within that. And in their pilot programs, their testing programs, they actually explicitly prohibit what they call um, fare splitting, which is two different parties wanting to come together. Uh, but you can have multiple people in the same party share the ride, right? So there are some nuances like that, depending on sort of where you are in the, per- the, the permitting or regulatory regime. But broadly speaking, there's a, a commitment, I think, from industry and, and regulators too have a lot of interest in seeing congestion reduction. And so this, the shared feature is, I think, one of interest to everyone.
2: Well, and since your focus is policy, what sure. advice or suggestions that take away... Uh, um, that you have for policymakers what, what one thing would you say do this and it'll help facilitate
5: yeah. this. no that I love thank you for the question um yeah. so I think the main thing is creating pathways clear pathways to deployment and driverless operations right if there is a clear pathway to getting a vehicle like this on public oh. roads and providing a service to people to customers in cities right then that provides a very clear signal and, and, the, and the, quite the, the path for us to be able to go in and then get to that point and deploy. And there's a lot that goes into investing in a community around mapping, testing, right? If there's having that pathway for driverless operations is, is crucial. Well, how do you work with cities then? Yeah, so we have a, a mantra that we like to really live by, which is no surprises. And uh, as I said sort of earlier, we, we make a point to reach out to city officials, to law enforcement and first responders well in advance of our operations and, and to let them know sort of who we are, what we're doing, how they can get a hold of us, to provide really important safety, critical information to especially first responders on if they have to interact with our vehicle in, in a routine situation or in an emergency, what do they do, how do they do it, how do they know they're doing it safely. All of that goes in advance of, of our operations so that really people understand, right, who we are, what we're doing.
2: And so I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about uh, who's backing you, but perhaps you could talk a little <laughs> bit about that because I think it's significant.
5: Yeah, I, I'll just say, you know, we have a, a great partnership with Amazon and they, they've been very supportive of us and our mission. Um, and you know from the they, they share in the vision of this passenger mobility service that we seek to provide. And again this would be a Dr. Kornhauser question but
2: it seems like with that relationship delivering packages in the middle of the night when no <laughs> one's on the street would be a great opportunity.
5: You know so we're very fortunate that Amazon has been very very supportive right of, of our mission. But you and and this is what we're going to be doing. This has been our, our mission from the very beginning. But you can imagine other use cases for the technology and right like humans are the most precious cargo if you can transport them safely you can transport anything safely. Uh, excellent
2: well i guess so it's uh, bottoms first and then boxes later <laughs> that's right that's okay. right <laughs> well, Paul, I like that. thank
5: you very much for yeah, your time thank you
0: great job ken and we hope to be hearing more from zooks uh, on the podcast here in the near future alan
1: right and and i had a chance to visit earlier we didn't do an interview at that time to uh, talk with people they are progressing they're progressing well uh they're showing I- images of uh, an assembly line in, in the production of the zooks vehicle and um and they're they're progressing i kept trying to ask them you know how many are you producing and and can you start sending a, a couple then 10 and 100 and a thousand and whatever to jersey and uh and i so i got i got you know, yeah, what's good about it, again, is it, it is a U.S.-produced vehicle. And in terms of us doing anything in places like Trenton, um, I think, um, you know, we're going to start with a U.S.-based vehicle,
0: Terrific. I think. Well, last week was busy. This week's busy, too. You've got the, the TRB coming up.
1: Yeah, Transportation Research Board meeting is coming up. We're having our our, our annual budget. Uh, Princeton uh, University uh, Alumni and Friends Banquet on Tuesday evening at, at 6.30 at, at, at Chen's Chinese uh, uh, restaurant and in, they're in, um, in, um, in Chinatown. If any of you are, are in town, uh, please stop by. Um, it, there'll be a, an address and so on and a place to, to RSVP in, in the upcoming e-letter, uh, please come say hello.
0: Well, we want to thank Ken Pyle. Check out Viodi, V-I-O-D-I, on YouTube and at Viodi.com. Also, thanks to Dr. Elizabeth Monroe, Alan's partner in crime, as we said before, but also his partner in life. Thank you to CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, for helping to make this podcast possible. CARTS is a 501c3 nonprofit Dedicated to safe and high quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you get podcasts from. You can get your smart speaker to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe.
1: Thank you everyone and um, happy new year and welcome to um, the second decade of um, smart driving cars.